Welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Join us as we explore classic Anglicanism through thoughtful and informative conversation within the bounds of the Christian faith once received. I'm your host, Canon Zachary. Today, our guest is the Reverend Canon Daniel W. Harden, who serves in the special jurisdiction of armed forces and chaplaincy as the curate for education, training, and formation. Chaplain Harden has served in the military since 1987 and was recently selected for the rank of colonel. He and his wife, Anne, have four children and one grandchild. Canon Dan currently serves as the clinical director of the Waters Family Life Chaplain Training Center at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Canon Dan, welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Thank you, Canon Zach. I'm happy to be with you today. We're continuing our series of interviews from chaplains who came to the Anglican tradition, and many of us came from various denominations of Protestantism. We highlighted these stories in our 2021 Canterbury issue of the JFAC Journal. In your article, you chronicled a journey that began in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church of which you said, quote, if my life was easy, this kind of religion could get me by in most circumstances and certainly fit in with the culture around me, end quote. Many of our listeners may feel the same with their current faith experience. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, I think this could be said for a lot of religions. However, at that time, I lived in a suburban evangelical Protestant part of the Midwest, I was and still am part of the dominant culture. I was and still am relatively wealthy, even though back then my family was low to mid-range middle class. No one persecuted me apart from, well, what I considered normal school bullying common to most kids. There was no significant crime in my community that I witnessed, and I had no significant event-based trauma growing up. So, yeah, my life was relatively easy. So going to this Baptist church, it was easy for me to walk down an aisle. It was easy to say a simple prayer that, that the altar workers guided me through. It was easy to get saved and to be eternally good to go. And it was also just as easy to be tempted by the world. The church was more like a mental exercise for me. I was told I needed to memorize scriptures, think right, choose the right thing. But there was not much of an emphasis on an encounter with the real presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you experienced that in a way that it, it left you wanting for what you described as a more experiential encounter with God. And this led you to a prominent Pentecostal denomination where you accepted a call to the military chaplaincy. However, your preparation for ministry and your theological training thus far didn't prepare you necessarily for what you experienced in Iraq with your soldiers. What was that experience like and what did you discover that brought you through that experience? Right. So by the time I was a chaplain uh, deployed to Iraq in 2007, I graduated seminary and, and I was ordained with a Pentecostal denomination. I'd moved on from that Baptist church where I came to learn about Christ. 
but by then I was hungry for an experience with Christ, and this is what attracted me to the Pentecostal movement. For me, it wasn't enough just to memorize scriptures and to know about Jesus in my head. I wanted to know him experientially, and Pentecostalism seemed to offer this experience with God. And I spent 20 years of my life there. After the first 10 years, I'd learned that there was something more that the movement was missing. For sure, they had something that I had missed, but there were excesses that I saw, things like a focus on emotionalism and abuses of power. There was no covering uh, with the authority that like we have within Anglicanism and other unsavory elements. I, I suppose that could be said um, you know, within, within any movement or any, any denomination. But more importantly, there was nothing tethering me when I needed it the most. So when I deployed, uh, I brought a copy of the Book of Common Prayer with me, and I, I really, quite frankly, wasn't sure why I did, but, but I did. And during my deployment, I noticed this hunger arising in many soldiers for the sacramental life. They, they wanted communion. They wanted baptized. And I noticed that same hunger in me. I couldn't conduct a worship service in Iraq without offering Holy Communion. There's a whole other story in, inside that, but it just didn't seem proper. So when I was injured in combat, my whole world turned upside down. I didn't know what to pray. I, I didn't know what to preach. And that's at that point I reached for the Book of Common Prayer. And the lectionary and the daily office began to master me when I needed it the most in my life. And I now realize I needed it every day, not just on my worst days. That's a very important thing that you bring up, and I really like the words that you used, that you said that the lectionary in the daily office began to master you when you needed it most in your life. I'm meeting with some folks at work that come from <clears throat> the free church background, and um, as we begin to talk and pray together, and I say, you know, there's there's uh, an option here, there's a discipline here where we can... Um, have a reading plan. We can have daily prayers. We can have some focus uh, in in a disciplined way of approaching Scripture, and that has really meant something to them. One of them actually went out and bought a book of Common Prayer, uh, and today uh, even was asked, you know, could we start having Holy Communion together? And it's that. Very earthy sense, I, I, I hear what you're saying in Iraq, in combat, when you have people that are at the base existence of things. And so to offer a mental exercise, but not offer um, the, the sustenance of faith and practice and sacrament um, just doesn't seem to quite um, be a way to minister to people fully without that. And as you found direction and comfort in the practices of the Book of Common Prayer, you also began to see the power of sacrament for men facing death. However, the reality of the sacraments that you experienced and later came to understand through Scripture, tradition, and reason 
were in conflict with the theological practice of most Protestant denominations. So you wrote in your journal article, consider this, for a Pentecostal, the laying on of hands for ordination and saying of prayers is believed to convey a real spiritual grace. But when it comes to baptism or Holy Communion, most Protestants refuse to see these as sacramental. One cannot pick and choose which of these to be sacramental about without maligning Holy Scripture. It is most logical and biblical to embrace the sacramental life, end quote. Canadan, what is the sacramental life, and what did your journey toward this life look like? Well, that's a big question, and I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> so, you, so, uh, you and the rest of us, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, I'll do my best to share uh, as one hungry beggar uh, to others what I've found so far. Um, I do know this, that it's it's more than just Holy Communion and baptism. And, th- and those are huge. And that is at the center of the sacramental life. Those are those are the things that Jesus himself said um, uh, are are most crucial for our salvation. Um, so those are prime. Those are important. However, the sacramental life is I'm discovering is greater and deeper than just Holy Communion and baptism. And so as I read Holy Scripture, the Church Fathers, the Divines, and our formularies, I begin to see the sacramental life is, is actually a participation in the life of Jesus himself as it's manifesting in the world, present time, real time, today. And so, so this can be expressed in many ways and, and lived out in many ways, but, but I'd like to say that not everything is a sacrament, because if everything's a sacrament, well, then nothing is a sacrament. So, so as, I, as I begin to meditate on this, certainly um, one way to live out the sacramental life is to approach Holy Scripture um, sacramentally, and Hans Burzma is one person that helped me understand this better. Uh, John 5.39 says, uh, Jesus speaking, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. And so when I began this journey in the sacramental life, that scripture, Jesus speaking, that really opened my eyes. One way I used to approach scripture was to try to master it. I memorized it. I studied it to show myself approved. I read it. But it usually remained a cognitive intellectual discipline. There's nothing bad about our minds. I'm not saying that's bad, but if it just stops there, that's not enough. It, it kind of falls short, like where Jesus was speaking. But there's another way to approach Scripture, the sacramental way and the sacramental life, and that's to realize Jesus is the Word, not the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God written, but Jesus is the Word of God. And when I approach Holy Scripture, the Word of God written, I am to seek to encounter the living Word in Holy Scripture. 
So when I take a perfunctory approach to the daily office or any other Bible intake, I'm guilty of Jesus' words in John 5.39. But when I slow down and I realize that Jesus is alive right now, and he wants to meet with me, and he is here, he's speaking, will I listen to him through the pages of Holy Scripture? And when I pray that my heart may burn like the disciples on the road to Emmaus when I encounter him. That's when I'm closer to encountering God incarnationally and sacramentally through Holy Scripture. So that's one example of living out the sacramental life in Holy Scripture. Does that, does that make sense? Is that that's, that's useful? A, yeah, that's a, I think that's a really beautiful way to to bring it into what we're, we're going to talk about next. But you know, just to kind of recap a little bit for our our listeners, because there was a lot in there that um, I don't want them to miss, especially if they're new to Anglicanism. So obviously, I think people are going to know what Holy Scripture is, uh, perhaps the Church Fathers, but the Church Fathers are largely neglected in many of our, our seminaries, uh, especially in the Protestant world. There may be uh, just a, a gloss over, but um, the Church Fathers uh, expounding on the faith, faith once delivered, as St. Jude says, the apostolic faith. Uh, and then you mentioned the divines, and um, you're referring, I'm assuming, to the Caroline divines. Main, mainly, yeah. Those, those around the English Reformation and following, uh, those that really helped us understand our Anglic- Anglican faith uh, post-Reformation. Right. And um, then you get to the formularies, which... Uh, are the Book of Common Prayer and the ordinal therein, the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, And um, many will tack on the homilies in there because within the Book of Common Prayer is also the 39 articles, uh, which makes reference to the Book of Homilies. And so uh, those make up our, our formularies of the Book of Common Prayer, the ordinal there found in, the 39 articles, and then the 39 articles mention the formulary. So when you hear that, that's what we mean in there. You bring up John 5.39, which I think is a beautiful verse to talk about in terms of the dichotomy uh, of word and sacrament, if we look at that in our in our service. And so sometimes there are services that tend to lead more towards word, meaning the written word of God, and less towards sacrament, or more towards sacrament and less towards word. And uh, it's really a false dichotomy. It is word and sacrament. It's not... Yeah. Go ahead. Right. It's about, it's about encountering and participating in the life of Jesus in whatever it is we're doing. And in this case, if what we're doing is approaching Holy Scripture, well, then we want to participate and experience Jesus in the discipline of Holy Scripture. And if we're not doing that, then we're missing him sacramentally. Absolutely. And when Cleopas and his companion met Jesus on the road and the gospel was explained uh, you know, to them, their hearts burned within them, and right. then they recognized him in the That's breaking right. of the bread. And there's that encapsulation again of, of word and sacrament and encountering Christ fully in that. Just a beautiful, beautiful image. Right. Yeah, so another example of the sacramental life um, would be the ordering and sanctifying of time. And for um, 
an incarnational sacramental Christian, um, and, and an Anglican would be an example of that, uh, we would look to the calendar, the church calendar for that. So when we meditate on and contemplate the calendar of the church, what we're actually doing uh, is we're participating in the very life and ministry of Jesus himself throughout the year. So Jesus is inviting us to walk with him and learn from him in an experiential way nested with a sacramental approach to Scripture. So the calendar is more than just a a memorial or a, a mere remembrance. It's a way to walk and talk and live with Jesus in a daily manner. So this makes our days holy unto the Lord. Our, our moments of life become centered around the Lord, and our rhythms of life become synchronized with the life of Christ. And this has tremendous possibilities of transforming how both laity and clergy make sense of the life, our life, our world, our ministry, uh, tragedy, and triumph. When when we have our life synchronized with Christ. When I encounter, um, I have the privilege of working with all six branches of service now. So soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, guardians, um, uh, coast guardsmen. So I guess that's, yeah, the six branches there. So um, I find that many people will gravitate towards the, uh, what, kind of commonly gets referred to as the earth religions, or they gravitate towards Native American spirituality, or they gravitate towards uh, some kind of, of proto-Christian um, Celtic spirituality, those types of things, because they seem to really find a significance in the earthiness of it, the rhythms of it, or at least the the westernized view of that that they may be encountering, or maybe they find some Eastern religions to be that way. And what I'm actually beginning to really see come through is that as I have opportunities to talk with them about the ancient faith, that they're realizing that the the faith that they grew up in in Western Christianity was was really lacking. It was it wasn't a full version of the software, if you will. And and they hadn't really gotten to see how incarnational the Christian faith is. And that's really where I think you're absolutely right that this has possibilities for transforming how one makes sense of the world and life and ministry because it is taste, touch, see, feel, experience, walk with Jesus, be with Jesus, understand uh, the closeness that we have with Jesus. It's not just a mental exercise in a series of rules. Um, And so that brings us to, I think, really where kind of we're heading with the sacramental life next is the idea of authority. Well, yes. Your comment, though, triggered one other thought, and this is— if I could, I, I will inject this. The This sanctifying of time and this idea of the sacramental life, including time, is why a genuine Christian is, is more resilient when faced with trauma 
than someone who does not have, uh, is not participating in the sacrament of time. When, when a Christian is faced with trauma and they, their time is ordered by God and made holy by God, they understand that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, and God is directing their steps, and and God is ordering their time, and they are participating in the life and the sufferings and the death of Jesus. And so they are they're much more resilient when hardship comes. Uh, so that that's another that's another benefit of living in the sacramental life is we we have a much more heavenly view of everything that's happening here on earth. We get to experience that in the Eucharist. We hear the Sursum Corda, lift up your hearts. We lift them unto the Lord. And one of the things that I've been talking about with some fellow clergy is the idea of entering into Kairos as opposed to staying in Kronos. Yes, uh, that's right. And so this eternal time of the sacramental life, suddenly, I mean, it, it, the the uh, revival hymn that you and I grew up with um, about uh, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, I really see that as a, a Kairos kind of, of understanding about time and how we walk with Jesus in that. I'm so glad that you injected that in a uh, in a conversation where we're talking about things that are so important to the sacramental life. All of this doesn't just happen in a vacuum, though, does it? It, it happens no. under an authority that's really that's important. Right. That's right. So the, the next element uh, that, that I'm learning about and discovering and have grown to really appreciate would be the historic episcopacy. And some see that as a separate element. I'm actually learning to see it as part of the sacramental life. Um, when I read about the historic view of the bishops from the church fathers, um, partic particularly of Ignatius of Antioch and others, I see that bishops receive the spirit in ministry of the apostles and of Jesus himself. And that's weighty. And more importantly, that's designed by our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so as clergy and laity, we operate under the authority and the care of a bishop. So to do what the bishop says to do, is to do as unto the Lord. And that's a very that's very liberating. It's also binding in a very good and healthy way. And I have discovered that I am I'm sacramentally covered by my bishop. And that that is incredibly uh, liberating for me. I, I carry the the authority of my bishop when I and performing the rites and ceremonies of the church. And that authority of the bishop is the authority of Jesus himself. So to honor and respect my bishop is a sacramental honoring and respecting of Jesus himself. Um, 
God, the Holy Spirit, is flowing supernaturally into the world this way. Uh, this is a this is an example of a of a sacramental movement. This is a way. This is a way about how His grace moves in people to people uh, in the world today, and it's been handed down from bishop to bishop, starting from Jesus and the apostles all the way down uh, to this present day to to all bishops, including our bishop, Bishop Derek Jones. I think that when people hear that maybe for the first time, they may be thinking, um, why would so much be entrusted and why would I be so dependent upon a man? And that's really not the right way to think about it in terms of this is an office. And these things have been entrusted to an office of which we get to participate and uh, and then those men are then set apart and ordained and consecrated. Uh, and there is something ontological. There's something outside of ourselves that happens in that moment and in that submission to ordination, to consecration, to the threefold office that we have uh, received. And so... Uh, you know, if someone's struggling with the idea of a bishop, if that seems authoritarian to them, because I hear you saying how it feels so liberating, but someone that's struggling with that, where, oh, yeah. where can yeah. they go to to understand that more fully? Well, I, I will I will speak to my experience coming into Anglicanism. I will go to two places first. Holy Scripture. <laughs> so that's that's the first place that we go. That's a good to, place to start, brother. That's right. Go to Holy Scripture. What you will find is that the office of bishop, episkopos, in the original Greek, is biblical. Now, you'll find the ministry of a pastor in Holy Scripture as well. However, what you'll find is that what we understand as pastor today in, in the West, is really the office of a of a bishop, and so, so the what what we have in Anglicanism, in the office of a bishop, is biblical. It's biblical, so so that's the first place I'd say. Go look at what the Bible says. Go to Holy Scripture. Wrestle with what the Holy Scripture says. What episkopos is versus what the biblical definition of pastor is. They're two separate things, all right? The second thing I would say is, what did the immediate inheritors, the disciples of the apostles, understand? So Jesus invested in the apostles. The apostles made disciples. What were those first-generation Christians? What did they understand? We're talking about the apostolic fathers, the church fathers. You know, Clement of, of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp of Smyrna. What did they understand? Read them. And what you'll find as early as the year 106, on the heels of the death of the last apostle, the normative form of Christianity had bishops, priests, and deacons. 
That's that is just the way that's the normal way things were. And it was the normal th- way things were all the way up until the Protestant Reformation. So so if people are struggling with the idea of of bishop, priests and deacons, they're struggling with something that is biblical, something that is in holy scripture, something that was in the uh, early church and something that has been existent in the church unbroken all the way up until the present and was the only thing for its first 1500 years. There's so much there. I hope people will listen and take it in, in the spirit that it's intended. Uh, We are stewards of this faith and we are submitting to the scripture, the tradition and the reason that we have inherited from those places that we talked about before when we uh, look at Holy Scripture, the Church Fathers, the Divines, the Formularies as Anglicans, and as stewards of that faith, uh, it's our joy to be able to share that with you during this podcast. Ken and Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. God bless you. You've been listening to the Classic Anglican Podcast. We look forward to being with you during our next episode. To learn more, join us online at www.anglicanchaplains-etf.org. Until then, stay strong in the Christian faith once received, and keep Anglicanism classic.